Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Real Early, the podcast that asks the question, are movies allowed to be fine? So much of internet movie discourse these days is whether or not a movie is the greatest thing that ever existed or just a pile of crap. In my opinion, however, I think most movies are just fine. My guest today is Lauren Knight, the co-host of the upcoming podcast, That Movie is Fine, with her friend, Aaron Hudson. I was really excited to get her on the show because this is a topic that I often think about when I'm on Twitter listening to people talk about movies. And I'm glad I did because this ended up being one of my favorite episodes I've recorded thus far. We talk about lots of different things, including her love of Sylvester Stallone and just why she thinks movies are just fine. I think you're going to like this episode as much as I did recording it. So without further wait, Lauren Knight. Hi, Larry. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so thank you for being on my show. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited to have been invited on. So thank you. So I think it was maybe about a year and a half ago, two years ago on Twitter, I tweeted out this tweet that we should normalize that the movie is fine. And that actually somehow took off. Like my tweets never go viral. But somehow this one did. I think it's because of Mike Vanderbilt on Twitter. <laughs> I think he retweeted it, which was the end of that for me. But of all the people that responded, you're one that responded uh, because your Twitter handle is the movie is fine. And I thought I was like, oh, well, obviously I need to be best friends with this person on Twitter. So that's <laughs> that's how we became friends. Oh, my gosh. So but still, it's Mike Vanderbilt has gets the credit of bringing us together i feel like because <laughs> oh that guy's everywhere hi mike <laughs> yeah i hopefully he listens to my show i'm gonna force him to listen so he could be on it at some point yeah um yeah uh, my twitter handle is that movie is fine because like a lot of i've found that a lot of movies that people love i don't love i just think they're fine <laughs> And I think also, like, you're right. We should just normalize. Like, it's okay that movies are just fine. Like, if you get enjoyment out of them and they've entertained you, like, that's fine. They don't need to be some type of, like, Oscar-winning masterpiece or anything. They just, you know, it's okay that they're fine. Yeah, in fact, I think most movies are just, like, two and a half stars you know, between the one and four star range or like two and a half, you know. And, oh, uh, you're, oh, I'm a little more generous than you, I think. Uh, probably in the three and a half range for me, maybe four for some. If I like really enjoy it, it'll, I'll bump it up. But I've noticed though that online, especially the discourse is either this movie is the worst piece of crap that ever existed or this movie is going to blow your mind and we're just going to talk about it for, for months. And there's just no middle ground. And I, I wonder why that is. I don't know. I mean, I think Twitter, I feel like, exists in a vacuum. Like, we only see the film Twitter side of things and we only see the the extremes. I don't know where that started. I don't know why. I mean, because, like, even, even Siskel and Ebert, you know, whether you agree with them or didn't over certain things, like, they had, like, a middle ground. And also, I mean, it's just funny to me that a lot of the movies that people say are utter crap, I love. And movies that are, you know, 
high art and cinema, you know, with an accent, um, I don't necessarily always enjoy. <laughs> so. What What's an example of a movie that everybody hates that you think is great? Oh my God, a movie. Oh no. You know, I always have these like in the chamber and then they like fall out of my brain whenever I'm asked. Um, you know what? I'll do you. Can I do the opposite? Because I feel like there are a lot of movies that people rave about that I'm like. Eh. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> what, is, what is a great movie everyone loves that you think is just fine? Um, I'll go recent and I know I'm probably going to get vilified, which is fine. Um, I did not love at all everything everywhere all at once. Like that movie. So if you, if you look at my letterbox, you'll be like, but you gave it four stars or whatever. And that's because it's an extremely well-made movie. It's, I respect the movie, uh, but I did not enjoy it. That movie was not for me. I, it did not speak to me as it has spoken to other people. Um, I think that's a movie that was overhyped to a degree. Uh, and I think that for me, it was just fine. It was too long. I feel like you could have cut some, cut, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes out of it and still not lost like the heart of it. Um, yeah, no, I, it's not in my top 10 for the year at all. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this was a great yeah. podcast. <laughs> nice knowing all of you. No, it's okay. I think the people that listen to the show, uh, not everybody's going to like every movie that everybody likes. And now I will agree that there's a lot going on in that movie. And if you're not on that wavelength, and because it's as long as it is, I could totally see it just not working. I mean, I guess there's got to be something there that I that I missed. Like, I watched and I mean, I just I wanted that movie to just calm down. Like there's a difference of being like frenetic pace when it comes to like a full-fledged action movie, right? Like I just saw Bullet Train a few days ago and that movie is like nonstop frenetic action. And I loved it. Like that's also a movie that seems to be either utter crap or people's top 10 of the year. There's no like middle ground for like a mid kind of budget action movie anymore. But anyway, I love Bullet Train and would totally watch that way many more times than everything everywhere all at once so i yeah i don't know as sorry everyone <laughs> it's it's okay you, you can stay on my podcast it's fine okay thank There's, you there are plenty <laughs> of movies i hate that everyone's like in, in love with so it's it's it happens but like oh can the, you name one i wonder if i'll agree with you or not do you have one off the top of your head sorry no See? but it's hard because like it is hard when you put people on the spot I don't know why I people know. go on podcasts. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'll try and think of an opposite one where like a movie that people hate that I love. I would have to like go through like letterbox ratings. I mean, I'm a huge Sylvester Stallone fan. So I, I talk about Rhinestone all the time. So like Rhinestone is legitimately like a five-star movie for me. And it's my favorite Sylvester Stallone movie and one of my all-time favorite movies in general. So like maybe that's one that other people hate that i love yeah that one definitely is not one you hear a lot of people glowingly talk about no so that's something you got like, yeah okay cool good all right there we go <laughs> now this reminds me you were a big stallone fan and you started to watch like all of his movies during quarantine time right it was 
Am I getting that I right? I did. Yeah, it was during lockdown. Um, I started, a, uh, it, I didn't know that I was going to like watch every movie he had ever been in. I started with the canon films. Because um, like if we're talking about, you know, movies that are either bad or good, like canon films for me just speak to me. Like I would much rather watch like a canon film than, you know, I don't know, an Oscar movie or something. Um, but I had never seen Over the Top, you know, which was canon. And I had never seen Cobra, which was canon. So, like, I started out with just a bunch of, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Um, so I was on, like, a JCVD kick for a while through canon and then came across Over the Top, which I had never seen and loved. I just knew it as the arm wrestling movie, which I thought was stupid. I'm like, movie about arm wrestling? That's dumb. Uh, I loved it. And it had a lot of heart. Um, and, like, Stallone is 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 good in it. I know he got like nominated for a Razzie and stuff years ago, but uh, he's really good in it. And I thought it had a lot of heart. And then I went to Cobra and that movie like changed my life and kind of put me on the Sylvester Stallone path. Cobra's in my top five Stallone movies of all time. It's probably number two behind Rhinestone. Um, but anyway, it was like, oh, I haven't seen all the Rambo movies. So I watched First Blood and then watched all the Rambo movies. And oh, I haven't. So I just started watching all of these Sylvester Stallone movies and realized that I loved him and they spoke to me and they were exactly what I wanted during a lockdown. So I called the series Sequester Stallone and I would post about them on Facebook and I would rate them. And um, now people tag, like I'm known as the Stallone enthusiast and I, I could not be happier to be honest with you. I even have a tattoo that I got a couple months ago that is of Stallone. <laughs> I'm committed, I'm telling you it. Um, so there's an there's an artist from the 80s named Patrick Nagel. He did the cover of Rio, like of uh, uh, Dire Straits Rio. Um, he's got like you would you would recognize it. He uses like big bold like block colors and stuff. And they're usually they're women in various states like kind of of undress. But they're anyway. So if you look up Patrick Nagel, it's Sylvester Stallone in the style of Patrick Nagel. <laughs> That actually sounds like, pretty I wanted badass. something different. It's I think it's rad. People have complimented on it. So <laughs> see, I don't I don't have any tattoos. That's uh, my wife's thing. She's got a lot of really cool ones. I have zero tattoos. Period. But like, I, I appreciate cool movie related ones. Most of mine are all like most of mine are movie related. Like my lower my lower left leg is uh, has portraits of Humphrey Bogart, Nosferatu, Gene Kelly. Uh, Charlie Chaplin and Pinhead. They're all on like my lower calf and ankle. Oh, I've yes. Got, the uh, renowned yeah. silent actor Pinhead. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, well, he's on the same side of my leg as Nosferatu, right? So it's like you've got classic actors on the left side of my left leg. And then on the right side, you've got like kind of the horror or the character side of things. So like it, it works, you know. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of, of movie themed ones. Now, you love Cobra. So then my mm -hmm. question is, how do you eat your pizzas? <laughs> um, I If it's uh, a regular type of pizza, I do the old New York style, like fold and shove in my mouth. But I will say I have cut pizza with scissors before just to see. And it is actually way easier than using one of those rolling slicing pizza cutters that could just like slip out of your hand at any minute. Um, but yeah. <laughs> It's I'm not pretty easy. I know this isn't a culinary podcast, but it, I made a mistake of getting the pizza cutter that's 
got the long blade that's kind of bent a little bit so you can like cut it like one length oh okay. i got one of those and i hate it and i regretted my purse ever since yeah, they're not great. Like, I don't know why the, I mean, I understand why a rolling edge would cut a pizza, but like, I feel like a sharper knife would just be easier. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it doesn't cut all the way through the rolly ones. You know, you really got to like bear down to like get through all the cheese and the crust. I don't know. I don't think it's as good of a, of a tool, to be honest, as, as like scissors or just like a very sharp knife. <laughs> I think there should be a line of Crobretti, like pizza knives and pizzas cutters i think that'd be great i think if the movie like came out now right there would be a whole different type of of you know like merchandise kind of line because there would be like the sunglasses and maybe like the leather jacket and you know but i mean sylvester stallone has his own shop um i own some items from it and like you'd think he, no there's no pizza cutter on there like i just it's uh it's so disappointing. Missed opportunity. If, exactly. if you're listening, Stallone, if you're listening, exactly. which you're probably not, but if you somehow are, <laughs> get yourself some pizza, pizza scissors cutter. on your store. Yeah, pizza scissors, yes. So obviously you like movies then. Um, what is... <laughs> I think I do. I love movies. Is Wasn't that like the greatest transition of all time? Yeah, uh, so you like movies. Yes. <laughs> What is? What if I said no? <laughs> or they're all right. They're fine. <laughs> uh, well, this would have been cut short. You know I mean? <laughs> so let me tell. Let me tell us what made you hate movies. That's what it would be called. It'd be called "We Hate Movies." Um, <laughs> no, but what is your earliest major movie memory that you have? Oh man, um, I remember seeing. I think I was three years old. I remember seeing Oliver and Company in the movie theater i think it was the first movie i ever saw i'm obsessed with animals and as a like i love dogs i love 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 dogs and as a little girl i like definitely love dogs and all my stuffed animals were dogs so i really wanted to see oliver and company um and i even had like the stuffed animals and i had the little like mcdonald's like plush ornaments and stuff anyway so my first my first real memory is seeing um uh, oliver and company uh, in theaters I thought I saw an American tale in theaters but it must have been like a re-release or something because I think that movie came out like when I was born and that that wouldn't be right <laughs> yeah I I would say that I saw American tale in theaters but I was also probably like seven at the time and I went with my grandparents <laughs> but uh were you a big Disney fan growing out of that, or was that just? I mean, I had all the Disney clamshells, um, you know, on VHS as a kid, and I would watch like The Little Mermaid a lot and Beauty and the Beast. But honestly, like speaking of American Tale, I am a huge Don Bluth fan, um, and I watched All Dogs Go to Heaven and Land Before Time like a lot more then I watch Disney movies. Um, Anastasia is actually like my favorite animated movie of all time. Um, and I saw that in theaters actually. And I remember it was really exciting to have a brunette heroine. Cause like in Little Mermaid, the dark haired, like human form of Ursula is the villain, right? And so like all the Disney princesses growing up, like Ariel had red hair, Cinderella was blonde, uh, Belle, 
Bell was the first one that I also remember um, being like a protagonist with brown hair and she was smart and pretty and I like to read books. So Beauty and the Beast did mean a lot to me, but man, Don Bluth like really just, just really, really got me. I saw Titan AE in theaters for crying out loud. Um, I just, I really loved Don Bluth's animation and the stories he told. One of my favorite movies on HBO growing up was The Secret of Nim. Like I watched that movie hundreds oh, of times man. on HBO. And the thing that I love about Don Bluth, Bluth's animation is how emotive all their faces are. You know what I mean? Like there's there really a lot of big movements and the drawing, the drawing, <laughs> the drawing of just their expressions is always just so big and I, that was something that always stuck with me with Bluth movies versus like Disney, which was all very like standard animation. So I think I could be misspeaking here. And I actually, Don lives, um, I, I'm based in Phoenix and he lives in Scottsdale, actually. Um, he's in his mid eighties now, I think. He just released an autobiography. So I highly encourage you to pick that up. Um, but I think, so he was an animator at Disney, but then Disney started to change their animation style and kind of also how um, detail oriented their stories were um, around the time of Beauty and the Beast or maybe like just, just I know it would have to have been before because Nim was 80s. But anyway, so Bluth liked the classic Snow White, like the big eyes, like he liked the classic Disney kind of animation style that they were going away from and he liked the detail oriented stuff I remember he was in an interview and he talked about how um there was a, an easy like cost efficient way to do like shadows like if something was swimming or something like that. anyway and Disney was like ah we don't we don't need that um it's going to take too much time and cost too much money to like animate the shadows and whatever whatever and so he got really disillusioned and ended up leaving Disney but yeah so that's why I think you're probably drawn to those characters as well as they're more of the old school like Disney fairy tale type of drawings and were your parents supportive of you like who like when you were growing up like who was the one that would like take you to movies and <sighs> I mean both of my parents would my parents were, were separated for years and they finally got divorced but um, my mom grew up with two older brothers, so she actually liked a lot of action movies. So like my mom showed me Die Hard, but she also showed me Dirty Dancing, right? So it kind of ran the gamut. Um, I do credit my dad though for showing me what I call the big three. He showed me the original Star Wars trilogy, the original or the uh, Back to the Future trilogy and the Indiana Jones trilogy. So um, I kind of, my, my dad was probably more of, a gateway and wanted me to be well-rounded he introduced me to gene kelly musicals actually it wasn't even like my mom or grandparents um it's like he showed me anchors away and on the town um he made me watch bridge on the river kwai which i ended up loving but you know when you're like 10 you don't want to watch that you know like i don't know but um i loved it so he uh yeah i'd say my my dad was probably um a very big influence and and were you guys uh when you were to watch movies with your dad, was it in theaters or was it on 
VHS tape at the time? I'm assuming it's VHS at this point still. Um, it was mostly, yeah, it was, my mom would take me to movies, but that's also because like, you know, she raised me and I lived with her. Um, but no, he would go to uh, the local Blockbuster video and and bring home, you know, a stack of movies. Oh, he showed me like, oh, Mel Brooks movies I love because of my dad. Um, so, you know, um, but yeah, they were on, on Blockbuster VHS the big those black clam you know plastic yeah <laughs> that that's great because um one of the things that i'm finding kind of interesting about doing the show is just finding out who the influences are you know some people have parents some people have uh siblings or 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 friends and whatnot where did you have anyone else kind of in your life that you were able to talk to on like your similar age length wavelength um no like so movies were just kind of a thing that I watched and that I liked like I was obsessed with the musical Oliver as a kid and I think my dad is probably responsible for showing me that one too um it's probably my mom was ready to kill him because I would just play it like on repeat um but so I'm an only child so I don't have I didn't have any you know siblings or anything to talk to or to introduce me to stuff I will say I always even though I studied film in college um I took a lot of film classes. I always say that my real film education was working at Hollywood Video. Uh, I ended up getting a job at Hollywood Video when I was like 16 or 17. However young you can possibly be to work at Hollywood Video, I started. Um, and that remains like one of the best jobs I ever had. I graduated college and still worked there. It was one of three jobs that I worked after college. Um, I helped close my store down. I helped like, it was like, I, I would not like leave um, so I have to say it was it was probably the other people at Hollywood Video because I would get uh, three rentals a day. As an employee, you could get three free rentals a day. So I would take advantage of that. I would close the store at midnight, get home at 1230 and like put on a movie while I like ate dinner <laughs> or something. And then I would watch the other movies the next day before my shift and, you know, bring them in. Um, so I would talk to customers. Um, I also had to get to know what the movies were because you would have customers come up and be like, is this any good? Or what is this about? You know, or even though there's the synopsis on the back or whatever, you know, so I just sort of had to, I read Entertainment Weekly. I read People. I just sort of had just had this general love of pop culture in general. Um, and then getting to also just talk with other employees and, um, you know, you haven't seen Boogie Nights? Okay, you're renting that tonight. Then they would go get Boogie Nights for me and, like, put it on my account. You know, that type stuff. So that's where I got my real film education. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally feel that because when I graduated college, no, let me rephrase. When I was still in college, but when I was home, my high school job, they're like, okay, well, you we're not going to let you do this anymore. Like, they didn't want me back. Because I had blown them off the spring break before. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to go. So I was like, but, you know, I love movies. I want to rent movies all the time. So let's just get a job at Blockbuster. And I ended up working at the largest Blockbuster in the United States in Deerfield, Illinois. Oh, my it was, gosh. It was so big. It had a playground in it. What? I've never yeah. heard of this Blockbuster in my life. That's amazing. It was it was gigantic. And. I really liked working there just because, you know, it's just free rentals and get to tell people around a particular movie and whatnot. And unfortunately it was, yeah. unfortunately it was blockbuster in the sense where like 
you know they they were kind of an evil empire in after a while but like there's something about when you're a movie fan working at a video store that really kind of helps you kind of understand what movies that you like and understand the language of cinema a lot more when you just rent a ton of movies you know so like that was my my experience in college and like after college and stuff because like i mean before growing up i would just have go to my parents would just be like okay you can go to the video store and they signed the dotted line that i could rent r-rated movies so i was just (laughs) at the movie theaters or the movie store like renting videos all the time and stuff so it, it was great to work in a in a video store and i was good at it because you know i knew movies and whatnot um did you want to did you know that vhs stores would eventually go away and did you have any aspirations of like owning your own video store or anything um you know it's you and i occupy like a really weird space because when i worked at hollywood video i think all they had was vhs and then as i started working there they were transitioning to dvd and like do you remember there was like um uh what were the two types there was hd dvd and then there was uh i guess it was blu-ray is that what it was or there like, was i think it was, was just hd dvd and then just dvd or something just regular okay well, they, there were two separate types, so Hollywood Video would actually get some movies in HD, D, HD DVD or whatever it was, and then they would get the other form. Um, but then they still would get VHS copies. Like, when Lord of the Rings came out, like, you had, like, the widescreen and, like, I think full-screen DVDs of Lord of the Rings, but then they also sent you, like, you know, 12 video cassettes of Lord of the Rings and stuff. So, like, there's, like, that... I mean, I guess... I did. Netflix was a thing, but it was like the mail-in DVDs, right? Like there was no streaming. So I think I maybe thought that video stores would like always be around. And then obviously that quickly started changing once streaming became more of a thing and like the internet and YouTube really started to like become, um, you know, what we know it as today. It's so weird to go back and think about I mean, I didn't even have a computer until my senior year of high school. I either wrote all my papers or my mom, because she was like a legal secretary and stuff, had an electric typewriter. So I would also sometimes like, so it's really, yeah, I I mean, I grew up like very middle class. I didn't even have a car until like my junior year. And like, it was just, it's a weird time. I think part of me always thought video stores would be around because how else would you get to see you know, a, a movie that, you know, besides being on TV with commercials. Um, but yeah, that obviously didn't, didn't last. Uh, but I think a lot of that same with Blockbuster was also just a lot of mismanagement and a lot of like spending in all the wrong places and Hollywood video ended up being sold to a smaller, uh, like, a smaller movie company called movie gallery, which didn't know how to like transition. Cause they were so much smaller than Hollywood video was like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally understand. In fact, um, one of the things that I liked 
and this was recently they finally closed all these stores but there was this chain called family video yeah their whole their whole thing was we'll have a video store but we're actually going to buy like a little shopping center and then we'll rent out to like Domino's pizza or something. So a lot of these stores were also like uh, in real estate and whatnot. And like, yeah. Oh, this is great. They're, they're not going anywhere. And even they went under, unfortunately. So it's just I like think the I, pandemic just changed everything for, for a lot of, I mean, for the movie industry in general, obviously. Um, but I mean, there are still video stores. I grew up in Atlanta. There's still uh, a place called Videodrome. I'll give them a shout out. They just turned, I think, 27 years old. They've been in the same location in Atlanta for like 27 years. And that's a huge accomplishment these days. Um, and so there is, I, I honestly, I've thought more now about owning a video store to answer your original question than I did back then. Like I, now I'm like, okay, I'm, I know the film industry just because things are streaming, not everything is also streaming as we've like been learning, right? Um, and a lot of like the niche titles and like the boutique labels like Vinegar Syndrome and things like that, like aren't necessarily widely available to people. So honestly, I've thought about it for now. <laughs> I've actually thought about that too. Cause okay, so Vinegar Syndrome is talking about opening a store in my town. And that would Whoa. just, yeah, right. But that would just be buying movies. But like, obviously I'll just kind of go there like every probably weekend just be like oh, i'm just looking and there'll be like some movie they're playing on the tv or whatever but they haven't opened it yet but anyway oh, wow. i'm like i i want i, I want to be able to see these releases i want to buy them but like i can't buy all of them but i still want, like i feel like there's got to be a, uh, a niche for people like me who want to go in and rent like whatever the latest shout factory releases you know and there's just very few opportunities to do that I completely agree. Like I don't, I don't have a very big collection in the grand scheme of things. I probably have like 500 DVDs and Blu-rays, which is like nothing compared to the majority of my friends who have wow. entire rooms that just take over, you know, that were DVDs and Blu-rays and like they'll buy the latest Shout Factory, even if they haven't seen it. Like they'll buy, you know, the Vinegar Syndrome, they'll buy the box sets from like Severin. And it's just, I'm married, you know, like two incomes. And it's, it's, <laughs> I don't have, I feel that. you know, how, how on earth are people dropping hundreds of dollars? Like, oh, everyone talks about like the criterion sale. And I'm like, I didn't buy anything at the last criteria. Like I don't have $25 for, you know, one disc. I'm like, wow, that's so expensive. You know? <laughs> oh, trust me. I think about this every time. Especially when I know somebody who's poor is like, oh yeah, I just dropped, you know, I got yeah. six eighty-eight films from Europe. I got the latest whatever, and I'm just like, I sometimes think, man, I I want to get this new release, and it's on Blu-ray, four K, for like forty, but I could get the DVD for like fifteen. So like, I've even <laughs> bought the DVD just so I could have the movie. And yeah, I just, I'm jealous of people. Like I've got my favorites. I'll buy my favorites on Blu-ray or 4K. Like I just bought Singing in the Rain again. I had already bought the Blu-ray box set years ago. And then, you know, just spent money on like the 4K because that's like my favorite movie. But yeah, I just, I wish I could buy movies. I wish I could buy movies sight unseen. The people that just blind buy, mad respect. Hats off. 
to to blind buyers. That's why I need streaming. Like if I haven't seen a movie before, right? But I want to watch it. So it's either streaming or like a video store before you know for sure if you really like want to own it or not, in my opinion. Oh but. yeah, that would definitely be a good uh, reason to have like video stores and, and streaming. And the other great thing about streaming is even if I have the DVD, I'll still just stream it because I'm like I don't want to get up and put the disc in the in the thing. And <laughs> yeah, I guess super it's, lazy. It's so funny. I have a, a I have a really good friend. His name is Aaron, and he he's someone who you know. Uh, will blind buy and and is someone whose like house has completely taken you know his house is completely taken over by by discs and stuff um but uh oh man i just lost my train of thought you had just said something and it triggered something for me that i thought was funny what did you sorry what did you just say can you go back <laughs> oh I'll, I'll rewind the tape but uh i was saying that i bought the dvd instead of no. Oh, right. Instead of stre- right, streaming, you won't, you'll run. Okay. So Aaron, like, he'll be like, you rented it from Redbox or you watched it on Netflix instead of like 4K, like instead of borrowing it from me. So he's someone who like won't stream. He'll buy the disc because it's, you know, usually better quality. Like, you know, he'll buy like the 4K disc or he'll buy the 3D. He has like a 3D setup, you know? So he'll buy, you know, and he'll, he'll like chastise. He's like, you streamed it from Hulu? Instead of watching it on Twitter, I'm like, dude, I paid for Hulu and there it was. It looked fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see a difference. Like, I've watched the DVD and I was like, oh, this is fine. This looks fine. Like, I should oh, start a, audio, I should start... blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I can hear it. It's fine. <laughs> I should start a Twitter account called The DVD is Fine. Yeah, it is. Like, that's like, so yeah. So he's like, I have a 4K version. Why? I'm like, because I can't just. I rent move. I rent quote unquote movies from him all the time, but it's like I can't just go over and get a movie whenever I want to watch something. <laughs> That's what video stores are for. <laughs> exactly. Bring the, them back. The other funny thing too, I was just thinking is that, like, I want to get Vinegar Syndrome discs, but they're they're a little pricey. They they, they do are. great work. They do great work, but they're pricey. Yeah. But like every every year, they're at a horror film like a horror convention in colorado and at the conventions they discount their discs discs even more and they're coming up in a few weeks i'm like yes i'm gonna get this movie that i want that i don't want to pay 40 dollars for and maybe get it for 25 see that's that's the way to like oh man i am dying to get uh six string samurai from vinegar syndrome but have it. At, at the time it was 45 dollars I got it for less because it was at the convention. See, and I really want Sixteen Samurai, but like, I also, here's the thing that people are also going to like, if they haven't already tuned out when I was talking about everything everywhere. um, I don't watch special features, really, unless it's a movie that I absolutely love. Like, I'm not listening to director commentaries. I'm not watching behind the scenes footage. So like, movies like, like you know vincent or you know uh uh who also does like criterion like i can't justify the price because for me i literally just want to watch the movie i don't i don't care about all the extras and i realize that that's the pr- like so i have no problem with a 45 dollars six string samurai i just that's just not in my budget i'm not gonna watch the features on it i'll just wait <laughs> 
Okay, so there's a couple things I would like to mention. First of all, I bought it, still haven't watched it. It's on my shelf. That's also a problem. That's also, yeah, okay. I mean, I've seen the movie before back in the day, but like I haven't busted out the disc. In fact, the other movie I bought with it, I just watched like a month ago. So it's not like I, I get the movies and it's just like it's decoration half the time. Yep. And I always talk to my friends that say, you know what? I don't know why they don't just release the movie only version on Blu-ray for less money. Like I know it probably costs money to press it and everything, but sometimes I just, I don't want the extras. I just, I'm going to watch the movie and not the extras anyway. Give me a cheaper option. And they don't have. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there, sometimes they will, or sometimes there will be some type of, you know, option, but also honestly, I'm kind of just waiting for the next big thing because then like 4k won't be as expensive you know how like dvd player like you know vhs players are like if you can find them they're like 40 bucks now or whatever and like dvd players are a lot less expensive than like blu-ray players are even cheaper than 4k so it's like once the next big thing comes along like 8k or whatever they're talking about like i'm expecting like then i can go buy 4k of everything because it'll be like 12 bucks or 15 it'll be like dvd price you know what i mean yeah for sure you, gotta, but you, know what, <laughs> you know what the problem's gonna be though you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be like hey aaron i got uh this movie on 4k is like what are you watching a 4k for 8k is so much better he's just gonna no he's already you know what the only reason i have a 4k player is because of aaron he had an extra one an extra one he has extra ones. I want to be friends with him. One, one. He has extra ones. And he was like, yeah, I'll just grab it from my parents' house. It's just sitting there. You can have it. Because I, he got me for, like, my birthday of, like, my very first ever, like, 4K DVD or whatever, you know, disc. And I was like, this is awesome. I can't play this. And he's like, you still don't have a 4K player? I was like, no, man. So, so like, huge shout out to Aaron for giving me. <laughs> a 4k player that's the only reason i can even watch 4k like i'm just i'm probably the the worst i i for someone who loves movies none of this tracks like <laughs> we like the content we don't necessarily care about how great it looks you know because sometimes yeah, i can't tell most of the a lot of this like dvd to blu-ray sure right yeah but blu-ray blu-ray to 4K, 4K, yeah. our eyes can only see so much <laughs> i know and it's it doesn't like change all the, the con- audio. Like, and sometimes oh, the content is more important anyway. And if I'm watching yeah. like an 80s monster movie, I don't want it to look great because I'm like, oh, well, this looks like crap now because it's even more fake. That's the other thing, too. Some restorations don't translate well because they were such like just because because of that, like um, like 2001, as beautiful as it does look, you can see kind of outlines against you know green screens or like matte paintings right and it kind of ruins the illusion whereas if you're watching it in 35 millimeter or 70 millimeter or just like the regular dvd like the graininess like you kind of want that graininess too in some movies you don't want it to be pristine looking you know you want that grit i love going to the cinema especially watching older movies and there's nothing better than seeing a 35 millimeter print of an 80s movie that's like pink that's just like been beating the crap like it looks like shit but i just think it's the greatest thing to look at and i would take that over like 8k poltergeist any day of the week you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no there's something really magical still about 
film. In fact, I just recently saw, uh, with Aaron, incidentally, uh, we watched RoboCop in 35 millimeter together and it was magical. <laughs> I had just and we both, showed- and, like, we both own that one, like I think on 4K and like, you know, it's just, it was so great. <laughs> yeah, the 35 millimeters is, just seeing something on film is like a whole different experience that yeah. unfortunately, like a lot of people, especially younger uh, people getting into movies, they don't really get that experience as much. And that's kind of a, kind of a shame with uh, how things are with DVDs and streaming and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I honestly, I have grown friends who don't want, who don't enjoy 35 millimeter. They like the high def, restorations and upgrades they like the remixing of of you know the dolby sound or whatever you know terminology um so like they're like oh robocop oh 35 i'll just watch it at home on my 4k like they would prefer so i mean and they're they're grown you know so they they grew up with 35 millimeter even more than you and i did but um yeah i don't know there's i mean there is something for everyone and that's fine you know, yeah, that great. is that is true. There's definitely something for everybody. <laughs> uh, now you said you were married, right? Yes. Yeah. So is your partner into movies too? The way he describes it is that he's like, I like movies. She loves movies. <laughs> he um, our movie watching is not entirely compatible. Uh, he'll like to watch the same things over and over again. I don't because my time is so limited. I would rather spend that time watching something new. Um, he does not, he has not grown to have an appreciation for say, you know, canon movies or like made for TV action movies like I have, or like come to enjoy like exploitation or cult films. Uh, I remember he, he apologized because he felt so bad the way it came out, but like he walked out of our bedroom a couple months ago and saw me on the couch and he goes, so what bad movie are we watching today? <laughs> oh man. He, and I was like, I'm offended. <laughs> um, and he was like, I'm sorry. That was, that was like, <laughs> that, that sounded like an asshole. I'm so sorry. So he, he's like, I shouldn't have said that. But Isn't like, it the worst yeah. though, when you're excited to show them a movie you love and they watch it, they're like, what that was crap what are you showing me this for oh that's the saddest moment you're like you start reevaluating everything you're like oh my god thank god they have other things i love i know i have to say that doesn't happen too much with us we've been together we've been married for like six and a half but together for 10 so at this point i know what he'll like um but uh and so I've, I've never really steered him wrong and so he knows that if i say will husband we have to watch this movie or like you need to watch this movie i've already seen it but i want to show it to you he knows that it's important to me because a it's a movie i've already seen so i'm willing to watch it again and b like i have i've been batting you know a hundred with stuff i've shown him and so he knows that it's that it, it's it's worth it's worth watching but he's picked we'll alternate and he's the last couple of times he's he's picked some duds so um but i mean like fun fun duds like movies i probably would have watched anyway you know what i mean um but yeah so <laughs> i remember one time i showed my wife freaked have you ever seen freaked without oh my Winter? gosh yes 
And yeah. she was like, this is not funny. Uh, it just broke my heart. But then I was like, but then we were watching it together. I'm like, when she's not laughing at stuff, I'm like, then I'm starting thinking like, wait, is this actually funny or not? And I, I was, she was really getting into my head by accident. Cause I was like, oh man. Am, like she's like gaslighting you, but not even meaning to <laughs> gaslight you. You're like, oh my god, is this not even? I, you know what, freaked is funny. So you were not. No, I alone. was right because the milk, <laughs> the milk person joke, the milk delivery guy joke happened. I was like, yeah, no, this is still funny. Okay, yeah, like, yes. <laughs> Eleven milk delivery guys is, you know, realistic, but twelve. <laughs> I have seen that movie exactly once because that movie is also not anywhere. Um, there used so, to be a DVD special feature that I have, and I think somebody just released it. I thought, but it's hard to keep track because, like these these companies will be like, "Here's a thousand copies." Oh, I know gone. that also drives me crazy too. And I know that there's like that there's a lot of reasons for it. There's probably some contractual stuff, but that just you know, if it's not in your budget at that time, right? Or like, I just that's that's it's so frustrating. Or then they sell out so quickly, like rad the the like the bike you know the bike movie rad like that finally came to an actual like blu-ray or 4k restoration and then at the time there were a limited number of copies and they sold out in like the blink of an eye and it's just like you're leaving money on the table just make more but then it has something to do with like the contract but then later yeah. on i think they released an additional like 500 copies or something but yeah i just the this the, the buy it now or lose it forever type of thing is kind of a, a bummer for movie lovers and even just for the average person in general who maybe wants to finally discover you know like how many movies are undiscovered by people because they're just not readily available you know yeah that's something i think about a lot um and one of the things i try to talk to my guests about is where they see the future for the young generation growing up, like where are they going to discover older movies? Are they going to want to discover older movies? Like, do you, do you think there's always going to be people like us well after we're gone or eventually people are just going to just watch Marvel movies and not care about anything else? I think there will always be people like us, but I also think, what's considered like old or classic or cult is going to change. Like, you know, in 40 years from now, you know, something like, I'm trying to think of something that's maybe only like 20 or 30 years old, but then will be 70 or 80 years old in 40 years, you know, like the way, like Nosferatu is turning a hundred this year. Metropolis is 95. Like, that's not so far away from us, like movies that we grew up with in the 80s, turning 60 or 70 in our lifetime. So I feel like there might be a shift and like film classes could potentially start with movies from like the 70s or something, as opposed to going all the way back to, you know, the Great Train Robbery or or they'll touch on it, right? Because it is important about the history of film, but I, I don't know if when Nosferatu turns 200, if people are still, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me sad to think about. I think there will always be people like us, but also if you suddenly make a movie like, I don't know, breathless, unavailable, 
for a number of years or generations, like it's going to be that much harder to keep breathless alive, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, Cause I know that like, for instance, you can buy a movie on iTunes and then one day it's just magically gone. And then you might never see it again. And if there's no rights to certain things, it might just kind of disappear. Like think of all the movies that came out in, like the thirties and forties that like, we've never even heard of that might've been popular back then, you know? So like, yeah. it's probably going to happen again. Not to be depressing or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, one of the examples that always comes to mind is actually recent and it's dogma. Kevin Smith's dogma. Like that was a weird streaming didn't exist. So when rights were being negotiated, I think the rights are finally like, are maybe handled now but like you can't buy dogma anymore i don't think it's not streaming anywhere um and so like that's a recent movie you know and it's and it's one of the better kevin smith movies and it's important it says a lot of things but i mean could you imagine if that movie just like was made unavailable like rhinestone rhinestone is nowhere larry rhinestone is nowhere uh, what was your I, favorite movie not available anywhere? I know. It's not available anywhere. I had to watch it through alternative means, which I do not support, except in instances where movies are not available anywhere else. Um, but yeah, like Dogma could become one of those where 40 or 50 years from now, you're selling your copy for $800 on eBay because the rights never got squared away and that's the only copy of Dogma there is. <laughs> like... You know what I mean? So it's just, it's so depressing to think about. And with all the Warner Brothers, HBO, Discovery chaos, like it's very, very scary that things are just gonna like never have existed. Yeah, because if it's weird. not making a big wig money, like a billionaire money, they're just gonna throw in a vault somewhere, maybe burn it if it's cheaper or whatever. And, and if you take, some, yeah, and if you take something away off of the channel, but then you don't have a physical media edition of it, then it like didn't it's not going to exist a generation from now you know what i mean like, but i think the good news though is think of like a tubi or a pluto tv roku television there's if those are starting to become a little bit more popular and they're like okay what are we gonna put on this and there's a ton of old movies uh there was a jack nicholson directed basketball movie that was on Pluto what? TV randomly that I didn't know existed. It was just on this one of the streaming channels. And I think when we grew up, for me especially, I'd watch television and TBS would be Beastmaster and all this kind of stuff. It's over and over again. And I think it's important for these ad-supported sites like that to have the content they could put on there because they're not going to give them, you know, Ant-Man. They're going to give them, right. you know, Jack Nicholson's basketball movie from the 70s, which uh, I can't remember the name of it, but you can look it up on Letterboxd. Um, oh, yeah, I gotta look that up. I've never, I had no idea. It's like a counterculture thing like he would do back in the day. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't watch most of it because uh, I had to work the next day. It was bedtime. But like, I think that is a potential future for, for people to discover by just searching through these free channels. Because Basically, it might go full circle at some point, hopefully, to keep things alive. 
I hope so. I mean, I guess it also comes back down to the question you said before about if it's not making anyone any money, right? Like, then would they have the have a reason to sell the streaming rights, you know? Um, or when companies get sold, that's where a lot of the rights disappeared is, you know, 80s, like, film company distributed some 80s cult movie, but then went under, you know, bankruptcy, whatever. And it's like, well, where, who owned that library? Oh, a company that went extinct in the 90s. Okay, well, who took over that, you know, company's library or, you know, things like that. So, but Tubi, like Tubi is doing the Lord's work, the the movie God's work. I've seen so many um, Severin titles uh, are on Tubi. So like I've been able to like watch Severin without having to necessarily like buy the disc, right? Or I could test it out first and then buy the disc. Um, they've got a lot of like canon. Amazon Prime also does a lot of like, you know, canon films and, and, and lower budget, um, you know, 80s, 90s type fair um so i'm i hope i hope you're right i hope i hope so now you were we were talking off before we started that you're going to be starting your own podcast soon <laughs> and i sometimes wonder and i'm like I'm, I'm getting less than 20 listeners so far uh and i love every single one of them and i wonder sometimes though like do i have a responsibility to get the name of like movies out there to some people that might not have heard of it. You know, you know what I mean? Like, do you feel there's, you have some sort of responsibility or are you just like, I just want to just do something for fun. And if there's no higher. I mean, if there's a movie that I feel like needs to be seen or that people haven't heard of, I will talk about it I don't think it's fair if it's also something that isn't widely available like you know if there if it isn't available for streaming or blu-ray and then you're kind of encouraging people to seek alternative means like I just I don't feel comfortable necessarily like doing that um honestly so far the podcast which I actually am doing with Aaron who I gave him the shout out earlier um it's re it's visiting movies that are not necessarily mainstream or movies that are like universally beloved by people, but then one of us might feel differently about it. And we're not talking like E.T. or Indiana Jones or like that type stuff. But, um, you know, we've done and we we have an episode in the can on Cobra because um, that movie was like the butt of jokes and was kind of panned, um, even though it did, I think, OK at the box office at the time. Um, so we have like an episode of, of, of Cobra, but we've also done an episode about Top Gun Maverick because I thought that movie was fantastic. And Aaron was like, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, essentially like it's, it's basically the same movie just done kind of bigger. Right. It's like the same plot points in the same beat, but like, that's also okay. You know, that I think that's why that movie was okay. That's what you want. Yeah. That's 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 what that's what you want, you know. Force Awakens was also just a new hope, all over again, just with a it female was. lead. It was the same story, you know. Um, but that's kind of made like what you what you wanted originally, you know. I don't know. Um, but it's it's. 
I think more, I feel more that my responsibility is to make people feel comfortable and accepted with what they like or what they don't. Right. And I mean, I might joke or I, even I've made mistakes and have gotten out of hand with like, I can't believe you didn't like that, you know, and like, that's not, that's not fair of me. Um, but I love when people can discover something for the first time or being like, oh, if you love that, you should check this out. It's lesser known by the same director or, you know what I mean? Um, but I just want people, I want other people who didn't love everything everywhere all at once to know that that's okay and that they're not alone. You know what I mean? Like that's, for sure. that's all. Yeah. Uh, look, I spend most of my time on Twitter. I've made a lot of good friends from Twitter. Um, but like, the vitriol people have for somebody's opinion on a movie one way or the other gets way out of hand and people need to chill out because first of all, like I didn't work on everything everywhere all at once. You know what I mean? I have no personal <laughs> stake in it other than yeah. there's guys who made it that I like watching and things, you know, I, yeah. you know, and I liked it. And I want people who may not give it a chance to give it a chance because they might like it. And if they don't like it, whatever, it's no big deal. I don't, I don't care if people hate a movie, but people sure do. <laughs> I know. And I love, I love a popcorn fluff blockbuster movie, superhero or not. I love disaster movie. Like it doesn't need to be, did it entertain me? Like that's basically what it comes down to. And there have been a lot of, you know, hoity toity, movies there have been a lot of like oscar nominated features that may that 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 just didn't move me or that i didn't actually enjoy even though they i i can acknowledge that they are good like honestly i didn't love parasite you know but i can't say that out loud <laughs> well i like to think of my show as a safe space for people's opinions on movies see that's I just want to say space and it's just it's okay if you don't like love a certain movie that other people are telling you that you need to love or that you need to hate because that's also I think how we're getting some of the movies we're getting is is I think the pendulum has swung too far and studios might be listening to the wrong voices right or they're listening to the vocal minority right it's always like the assholes pardon my language it's always the assholes that you know, are the, the squeaky wheels, right? It's always the ones complaining on Yelp. You're never leaving a good review. People are always leaving bad reviews, right? They're never, so I, that's, that's, that's the thing for me that I just can't stand. So if, if someone's listening to this and they want also a safe space to feel comfortable having an opinion on a movie, what is the name of the podcast you're going to do so they can look out for it when it drops. Yes. Uh, we are hoping to drop it this month, but it might be more in September. Um, it is actually going to be called That Movie Is Fine Podcast. And um, we already have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. Um, you can just type in That Movie Is Fine Podcast and give us the old like or follow. Um, on Twitter, the name's too long. Uh, not enough character spaces. I need Twitter to just extend their like, handle by like two letters uh their handle max um so it's t m i f pod on twitter 
Um, but uh, definitely Instagram and Facebook is is the way to go. And um, also, please, you can follow me um, on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at That Movie Is Fine. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, is uh, you, you have a company, LA Knight Consulting. I do. Um, I had spent the last seven years um, in the uh, movie theater, the the film exhibition space. Um, I was a uh, I was a creative programming manager and live events manager for uh, what were originally Alamo Draft House locations in Arizona. There were three of them, and then um, the pandemic just kind of you know ruined everything for everyone. And now uh, they have become a locally owned uh, chain called Majestic. Uh, neighborhood cinema grill um i no longer work for majestic uh so i have struck out on my own with la night consulting um it's a live events film screenings and celebrity appearances company um i i have a unique rolodex of people i've also uh, i have a history uh, a background in journalism and pr so you also get press releases with la night consulting and press contacts and, uh, you know, if you have a space and you want to do an event, but you don't know where to start, um, I love what I call people logistics. I love walking into a space, seeing what, how the best way for the ebb and flow of people, the best way to set things up. Um, I'm a public speaker. So if you needed an MC, to, you know, if you needed a host for your event or something like that, that's all under the LA Night Consulting umbrella. And is that in Arizona or do you, have you done events elsewhere? Um, I've actually done events elsewhere. I'm I'm stationed uh, in Phoenix, but I have clients in Atlanta. Um, I'm sponsoring and helping assist with a uh, film festival in uh, Winchester, Virginia, the Lost Weekend Film Festival. So LA Night Consulting is doing some some film festival work out there. Um, I have connections to theaters in in Chicago. Um, so I, I have, I have kind of a, a wide reach, even though I'm stationed here. So, um, you know, don't, don't, don't hesitate if you're not in Arizona, don't worry. I, I can, I've got you. <laughs> what, what is, where, where can people go to learn more about this? Cause I think this is, I, I, I love people who could do that. And I, I bet you you're one of the best. Oh, thank you so much. I like to think so. Um, I'm so excited. I have like a super professional website. Um, so you can check out. LA Knight, it's with a K, so L-A-K-N-I-G-H-T, LA Knight Consulting.com. And then also there's an Instagram, um, LA Knight Consulting. Well, I, I hope that continues to be successful. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your podcast. And this has been a really fun conversation that I've had. I'm really glad that you decided to come on. And uh, I think the people listening are going to enjoy it as much as I had uh doing it so i wanted to thank you for coming on to my show oh thank you so much and once aaron and i get things off the ground we do want to have guests also talk about certain movies that they love that maybe people think you know are less than fine or something so we'll definitely repay the favor and i think you have a really unique format for your podcast where it isn't really just like about a certain movie in general but how people came to love movies and how it's like shaped them um, and influence them. And I think that's really special. So thank you for having me. I appreciate that. All right. Um, so that is the end of my episode. So thank you for listening. <laughs>